Today's scripture reading is from 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belong to Saul and to his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons, and Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It is indeed a blessing for me to be here. Thank you for reading the scripture, Sister Megan. And let me greet you, um, of course, in the name of our wondrous Lord, Savior, and King, Jesus Christ. Um, and also, of course, from the saints on the West Coast, um, my wife especially, Sharon, um, we're taking care of her mother, so she couldn't be here this weekend, um, but she certainly sends her greetings and prayed for us last night. And I also was told very, very clearly and pointedly to give a greeting from a young man that I know who's become a dear friend of mine and someone some of you may know or heard of. His name is Reverend Rod Miles. Rod, I believe, came to faith here at In Town. He's an elder here. It still holds a very, very special place in his heart. So he wanted me to be sure uh, to send you his greeting. And also, let me thank you all um, on behalf of LDR. Um, you basically empowered us to have an amazing weekend. 
uh, Sister Kelly Brown and her team, they pulled together a phenomenal gathering, but we all had to wait on the Lord, and the Lord met us here at In Town this weekend, and for that, we're grateful, so thank you. I've heard the scripture read, and since the children are still here, children, they're like, you mean we got to stay in church today? I want you to think of something, children. Think of the last time you had a birthday. And maybe your parents on your birthday did something perhaps a little bit special, or maybe a lot. Perhaps it was a special meal that you had. Maybe you had a few friends over. Or maybe they did the whole shebang. You had the bounce house, the water slide, like, whatever it is, maybe you're a transformer. I don't know what the, I don't have young children. I have a grandson, but he's two, so he don't really know much anyway. So I, I don't have young children, so I don't know, like, the thing that they would want. That, oh, but maybe you're like a transformer, maybe marble, maybe Barbie. I don't know what it is, but maybe they, they just went all out because it, maybe it was a special birthday. I don't know. And, they, and you just enjoyed it so much because it was a special act of kindness and love that your parents or your grandparents or your siblings showed to you. It went beyond the usual parental responsibilities of ensuring that you're clothed and that you're fed and that, that you, you have a, a warm, safe place to live and that you're educated. It, it went beyond that because of their love for you, their tender, kind love for you. They wanted you to know, and they wanted to remind you in, in that instance that you mean much to me. The story that we're looking at this morning is a story where a great king literally adopted the grandson of his most bitter enemy and essentially said to him, if I can use this phrase, happy birthday. You mean much to me. And it's a story that all of us can relate to so well and that also propels our witness in our community. In my view, 2 Samuel 9 is one of the most beautiful stories of God's love found in Scripture. It's the account, again, of King David. And now he sought, he intentionally sought to keep a covenantal promise he made to his best friend, Jonathan. He did so by seeking out someone from Jonathan's family to whom he could demonstrate God's special, covenantal, loyal, tender love. It's a beautiful story since, in my view and my opinion, it shows one of the most blessed ways King David shows himself as a type, an example, and a foreshadow of Jesus Christ, the great, grand, ultimate, now living king who shows his love to us. As we know, the story began with a question, the key to which lies in this word translated kindness. King David said, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness 
for Jonathan's sake. Now, now, let's if we can, let's try to transport ourselves back about 3,000 years. You were part of sort of almost like a new country almost, and, and, and you have gone through a long, bitter, hard-fought civil war. Finally, things ha have slowed down. The rightful king is in his place. There are no real threats around you. And, and you're sort of just hanging out with the king, and, and they're dealing with matters of state or whatever. And then David says something that I think may have silenced the room. Have you ever been in a room and people are talking and, and they're throwing out ideas or whatever, and someone says something and it silences the room? I think David may have silenced the room. Someone may have either thought, perhaps, or even said, come again? You mean, you mean, you, mean that you want, let, David, let me just get this straight. You want to show God's special loving kindness to people who were bent on killing us. And, and do, do I have that right? And David's like, yes. Remember, this was a long, bitter war. David had been chased and hounded by Saul and many, many atrocities that Saul committed directly impacted him and even his family and those around him. And even though the war had ended, it didn't mean that all of the hostility and the hurt had ended with it. But there sits David. And as God has now established him on the throne, keeping his promise that he made to him many years ago, David, upon reflection, says, I have to show this kindness to someone from my friend Jonathan's family. As I said, kindness is one of the key words in this passage. It comes from a word group translated hundreds of times in the Old Testament. It, it sort of speaks of God's loyal, reliable, strong, deep, committed, tender, affectionate love for his people, which moves him to act in their highest and best interest, even though it comes at great cost to himself. Again, this was the kind of love that King David wanted to show to a man who was part of a family that were their bitter enemies, literally for decades. What's humbling about this particular passage and this particular request is David wants to show this to someone who could even perhaps be a rival to his own throne. Someone who could perhaps rally those elements who were still loyal to King Saul and raise up a challenge to him, someone who, if perhaps left unchecked, could throw the whole country back into turmoil. Brings us to the first point of how King David acted as an example of our Lord Jesus Christ. He did so, listen carefully, please. He did so by intentionally seeking out someone from an enemy house for the express purpose 
of showing God's special, precious love. That's what Jesus has done for us. He has intentionally sought us out to show us his special love. We who were his mortal enemies, we who said, no, Lord, I'm okay. Get that worship thing, I'm, I'm not into that. I'm into my thing. That following your word thing, eh, I think I'll do what I want to do when I want to do it because I'm grown. Like, I'm so grown, I pay my own cell phone bill. I know young folks say, yeah, I'm grown. Let me, let me see you pay your cell phone bill. <laughs> sit down, sit down. We were those who came from the enemy house of Adam. We were those who raised up in rebellion against the living God, wanting to live in his world, but live according to our rules. And yet Jesus intentionally sought us out for the express purpose of showing God's loving kindness. I love the passage we read that gave us the assurance of our pardon. Many of us know it well it's from Romans 5, 8. God shows his love to us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And like the living God, no one was telling David, you have to do this. There was no outside obligation. No one would have batted an eye or said anything at all if David had just gone on with his life, gone on with his rule, and completely ignored anyone from Saul's family. He wasn't under any obligation to do so, just as the living God was under no obligation to save me. Now, having found that his closest friend had a son, King David then gives the second example of Christ-like action. He summons Mephibosheth. And now Mephibosheth is now living literally outside sort of the territory of God's people. And you can understand why. One, he, he was lame in both feet due to an accident that happened upon when his nurse learned of the death of Jonathan, his father, and his grandfather. She tried to run, and she was carrying him, but she fell. It caused him to be disabled in both of his feet. Mephibosheth, of course, learns that David is king at some point, and he probably wants to keep as low a profile as he possibly can. Because in the pagan countries around them, we know what happens to descendants of those who raise themselves up against the king. Mephibosheth is like, look, I don't even need cable. If I could just have just like ESPN streaming and watch a little HGTV, I'm just going to stay here. Out, li li look, literally out of sight, hopefully out of mind, and David will just leave me alone. That's where he was. And then came the knock on the door. One has to wonder, what made him going through Mephibosheth's mind when it's King David's men at the door? When those who were caring for him said, Mephibosheth, you got a visitor. 
you might want to pack your things. Actually, you might not need to pack your things. <laughs> One wonders what is he thinking of as he takes that long ride down to Jerusalem, the city of David, perhaps thinking, this is it. Maybe wondering if I can show David that I am essentially disabled and that I am no threat at all. Perhaps he will simply sentence me to lifelong prison. I, I don't know, but he gets to David and he hears these words of soothing, healing, and redemption, and grace, and kindness, and I wonder if he pinched himself. You see, King David gave a second example of Christ-like forgiveness in action by his, listen, listen, his soothing words and actions to Mephibosheth. Listen to the word of God. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. David said, Mephibosheth. He answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. I, I, I have to believe that Mephibosheth, in his wildest dreams, could never have thought that he would hear those words. It's by these words and actions that King David demonstrated God's chesed, his loving, tender, loyal kindness to Mephibosheth. In doing so, he assured that Mephibosheth had no fear of execution, no fear of retribution, that he would not be made to pay for the crimes of his grandfather. Moreover, he was assured that he would no longer live in poverty, completely dependent on the charity of others. Moreover, he would no longer have to be in a self-imposed exile. He can now be brought near to the place where God is worshipped by his people and participate in that worship. King David's show of God's special kindness toward Mephibosheth is a tangible demonstration of love that literally radically altered the trajectory of this man's life. Moreover, moreover, it cost David something. Perhaps intangibly, maybe it could have cost him, perhaps, I don't know, a little respect among his men, thinking, why is he doing this? But certainly, in restoring King Saul's lands, it seems to be implied that upon finally defeating King Saul, mm -hmm, finally defeating King Saul, taking control of the country, that King Saul's lands and property came to David and all of the profit that he could have generated. So it cost him something. Y'all know where I'm going. 
even though y'all quiet Presbyterians. Y'all know where I'm going. In doing so, David gave us an example of what would happen to us. Years later, Christ is the ultimate king who after seeking out his enemies, and we were his enemies, he demonstrated God's kind, loyal, strong, deep, committed, tender, affectionate love to us through soothing words and actions. Christ assures us that through faith in him only and faith in him alone, we will not have to live in fear of God's just, fair, fierce judgment. That we have been pardoned. We have been forgiven. And therefore, we stand before God at any given moment free from anxiety, fear of how the living God sees us. When you woke up this morning, if you're in Christ, you woke up as a delight of the living God. When you go to sleep tonight, if you're in Christ, you go to sleep tonight in the delight of the living God. And you live in Christ, in union with Christ, as the object of the delight of the living God every single solitary moment of your life. You never have to worry, Lord, we, we all right? You, you, you sure? He's sure because Christ is sure. Moreover, we don't have to, listen carefully to this one, we don't have to live in the poverty of a society that is bent on plunging into foolish, disobedient, sinful ways, listen carefully, to meet our needs, satisfy our desires, find significance, or experience healing. We need not rely on sinful patterns and habits, again, to meet our needs, satisfy our desires, find significance, or experience healing. We can walk in the word and the holiness of God as empowered by the Spirit, dependent upon the one who has loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood. Also, in Christ, we are brought near to the living God to behold his beauty, grandeur, Grace, power, love, compassion. We are brought into a worshiping relationship with the living God that satisfies the deepest longings and needs of our souls. We know who we are. We know why we're here. We know where we're going. We know that we're loved. We know that we're cared for because of Jesus Christ. And every single time we gather with God's people and we sing about him, we pray to him, we confess to him, we hear his word, we fellowship with one another, and we're brought to the cross. We realize the richness of what it means to be fully human. And of course, we know that as David's kindness to Mephibosheth cost him something, Christ's kindness to us cost him something. Christ lived a perfectly sinless life. That is, 
He did everything the word and the law of God commanded every human to do to have a perfect, permanent right standing before the living God. Christ did that as a real man. He lived that life. He was the only one to have earned a perfect, permanent standing before the living God by the life he lived, resisting every temptation. And so he gave that as a free gift to us because having lived that life, he then went to the cross. And at the cross, he died for the sins of all of those who trust in him. Anything and everything that I have done that would have disqualified me from being in a right relationship with the living God. Christ died for all of that sin. He paid for that sin that I committed that disqualified me from being in this right relationship and assures me that my sins have been washed away. And if your faith is in Christ, assures you also. And then he rose again from the grave. And in rising again from the grave on the third day, as ancient Jewish folks counted days at that point, he proved his claims to be the eternal Son of God. He proved that the Father accepted his sinless life. He proved the Father accepted his sacrificial death. And now he says, come sit at the table, children. You know, in some ways... Our Lord Jesus echoed King David's words to Mephibosheth to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. It's in John chapter 4, verse 10. Listen to these wonderful, soothing words of forgiveness in life. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It's the invitation that is still out there this morning to anyone who wants it, anyone who wants a thriving, vibrant, spiritual connection to the living God can have it here and now through faith in Jesus Christ. So King David sought out Mephibosheth to show him God's kindness, and he demonstrated that kindness by saving him from the fear of judgment and restoring his inheritance and bringing him into his family. And then lastly, King David showed God's special loving kindness to Mephibosheth by simply adopting him, as it were, seating him at his table. It was a place, listen carefully, the king's table is a place of security and honor and friendship in fellowship, a place of delight. And so that's where he is. Listen again to 2 Samuel as we go to the end of the chapter. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. The ultimate demonstration of King David's love to Mephibosheth is to treat him and regard him as one of his own sons. And it's exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now, here's the wonderful thing. Just like Mephibosheth was unable to do anything to earn David's favor, he wasn't a mighty man. 
although he was one of the bravest men in the Bible, you, you can actually see that there's sort of a, a part to an epitaph to this particular story. But as we noted, the passage makes it clear that he was disabled. He couldn't have done anything to have earned David's favor, per se. He certainly wasn't thinking of even trying to earn David's favor. And likewise, we similarly, we were in a position where we were completely unable to earn God's favor no matter what we did, no matter what moral feat we could accomplish. We could never have on our own earned God's favor. It had to be granted to us by an act of kindness through and from Jesus Christ. And again, listen to what the scripture says from 1 John chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Just like the sons of King David, including Mephibosheth, we too now are in a position of security, honor, fellowship, favor, and delight. We too now live as the king's children who live to delight in him and receive of his favor. And this leads to the end of the message as we have just a few takeaways. One is somewhat personal to all of us, I think, and, and here it is. Dear ones, do we view our present salvation as one who was seated at the king's table and the object of the delight, the favor, the affection of the living God? Or rather than having a grace-based walk, do we have a guilt-based walk? Where rather than living as though we're seated at the king's table graciously, we're taking our meal of stale bread and warm water in the basement thinking that, well, I know I'm not worthy, and since I know I'm not worthy, God must know I'm not worthy, and he kind of really doesn't want me here. I mean, imagine if you threw your child the grand birthday party, maybe he or she is 5 or 10 or 15 or one of those ages, and, and you threw them the big birthday party, and you wanted him or her just to have an amazing time with their friends, and, and you, you went all out, and you have all the trappings, and then they come to you and say, thank you, but I, I'm going past. I, I've, I've not done, I didn't clean my room. That homework I told you I turned in, yeah, I lied. The time I was supposed to go over Jimmy's house, nah, I, I didn't do that. I, I went to the movies and watched something. I ain't got no business watching. Don't, 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 don't. And you as a parent say, look, I know you did all of that, and we'll deal with it. I ain't. Come on. But you are my child. It is my delight to show you my love. Please, please know that you are God's child. He delights 
not only to show you his love, grace, kindness, and affection, but for us to know that that's how he views, feels, and regards us. Let's have a walk with the Lord where we know, not in arrogance, but in wonderful humility, that we are the people of the living God seated at the king's table. Secondly, can we see how David's act of kindness brought to fruition in Christ's act of kindness and love provides the why, listen carefully, provides the why for the service that we give to our community. Can we understand that that's our why? We give love and service to those in our community who are in need because that's the kind of people we are and that's what we've received. We're not trying to be liberal or woke or anything like that. Please don't get me in trouble. We're not trying to be anything like that. We're simply trying to be like Christ. Can we understand that that is our why? That when we go into our community to show God's loving kindness and service, that we do so because we've been shown that loving kindness in Christ. Also, and, and this, this will be it, can we see how this passage can call us to consider ways we can show God's tender, loving kindness to those who would consider themselves now actively opposed to our Christ, his call, his cross, and his kingdom. Would we be willing to go to those who would curse the name of Christ now? Would we be willing to go to those perhaps whom our wider community would say no, they're our enemy. We know how we're supposed to treat enemies. Would we be willing to perhaps take the hit on our reputation to show God's loving chesed, his loving kindness to those who now have an active, hostile demeanor to our Lord Jesus Christ? If we have trouble thinking through the one, and I know I do, let's remember that we're about to participate in the king's table. Our brother Jimmy is going to say, come to the king's table. This is your privilege and your blessing because the king has sought you out for it and brought your place at the table by his own blood. And he did so not when we were good enough, not because we, weren't, we actually naturally wanted it. He did it because we were his enemies and he knew we needed it. That's why. We come to this table to receive his kindness. And that's why, like King David and our Lord Jesus Christ, we do pray and we ask the Lord, Lord, it might be hard and difficult and embarrassing to me, but Lord, is there anyone else in my community who is actively hostile against you that we together can show God's loving, tender, chesed kindness? Amen.